Welcome to another episode of Hashing Out the Law. My name is Arash Hashemi. I'm your host. Today, my guest is a very special, special lawyer. His name is Daniel Callahan. And Mr. Callahan has been practicing for 42 years, and he's accomplished a lot. But instead of me talking about him, I'm going to let him tell you what he's done. Mr. Callahan, how are you? Arish, I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Um, it's an honor to have you on, Mr. Callahan. Um, so like I said, you've been practicing for 40, 42 years. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got into law? What was that moment that made you want to be a lawyer and study law? <laughs> uh, well, that's a funny story, really. Um, apparently, I was pretty good at arguing when I was a child. And uh, my parents thought I'd make a good lawyer. The only problem with that was when I went to high school, I didn't really apply myself. Although I did graduate fifth in my class, it was fifth from the bottom. I was number 168 out of 172. Uh, so I worked construction and I was climbing trees with a McCullough chainsaw, chopping things down, throwing the wood chipper. I did that for a couple of years and I thought, what the heck am I doing here? I looked over at my buddy that uh, got me the job, and he's standing there next to his dad, so I figured I know why he's here. But I thought I really wanted to go to law school, so that meant I was really going to have to apply myself, and I, I assumed now I was going to be competing against all the smart kids. And uh, so I prepared to fight Goliath uh, when I went to college, and I wound up getting straight A's uh, in college, with the exception of one B in bowling. I had to take a PE course and I got to be in bowling. So I guess I never could get that hook going right. Before we continue, can I ask why you got a B? What, what did you do wrong that they give you a B? Well, I guess I was just not the best bowler. You know, I did, I, maybe I threw more gutter balls than I did strike. But uh, anyway, that, that's what happened. So uh, after uh, college, I then I thought, well, okay, Dan, you're pretty good at this college thing. Now you're going to go to law school, and those are truly the really smart people. Uh, I went to UC Davis, and I did the same thing. I put everybody else on a pedestal. I prepared to meet Goliath, and I wound up in the top 10 of my class uh, because it's just my preparation is what's the key to my success. Um, and also, I don't delay in getting jobs done because I believe if you can do it today, you should do it today because if you put it off till tomorrow, you don't know what's going to come down the pike tomorrow that's going to keep you busy, right? So get it done when you can get it done. Do it right. Um, I have the same attitude as a lawyer. And for 42 years, that's basically been my philosophy uh, to not over-prepare, but really prepare and prepare hard. Um, I, I like everything you've, you've said. Um, I especially like the fact that you say, if you can do it today, do it today. I need to listen to that more myself. But let's go back when you were at the construction job and you said, what am I doing here? And I want to go to law school. Why didn't you say medical school? Or why didn't you say, I want to be a banker? I mean, what was it that made you choose law? Because no, you were good at arguing? In the back of my mind, I always really entertained the idea of becoming a lawyer, not a doctor or anything else. Uh, I, I saw Perry Mason when I was growing up on television. Uh, there's also some show called Hazel. She was a maid for a business attorney who worked out of his home. Uh, those both look like pretty attractive uh, occupations. 
Uh, and it's just what I wanted to do. I just, with my grades in high school, it seemed like a long shot. Uh, but it, it all worked out very well. I have been practicing law now since 1979. And, uh, Great. And you, you, you have currently the largest jury verdict in Orange County history. But at some point, that was the largest verdict in all of California, correct? Well, it was the largest jury verdict in all of the United States up until November. So I damn near had the largest one that year, 2003. It is the largest one in Orange County history. Uh, and it was the largest one that year up until November when a jury gave some billions to an oil company. And can you talk about that case? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Oh, sure. Well, Beckman Coulter manufactured uh, medical instruments and they had a contract with Flextronics, another publicly traded company uh, that made circuit boards for them. But those circuit boards were a little bit more complicated and Flextronics got a deal with, uh, I believe a manufacturer of cell phones where they can get I think it was a $2 billion contract. So they just decided, we're just gonna break, breach our contract with you. We have a five-year agreement at two and a half years in, we said, nah, we're done, you know, we'll pay you damages. So we sued for $2 million. And uh, during the course of discovery, I discovered a $300,000 fraud. Uh, and then I demanded a million. They only offered a few hundred thousand. And then as I learned more and got more confident, I demanded $3 million, uh, because I had the fraud. Uh, they then offered, they followed me, right? So we went to trial. It was a uh, three-month jury trial. Uh, during the course of the trial, I amended the complaint to conform to proof. Uh, I added two causes of action that I picked up from Arizona for economic duress, which is a subspecies of fraud. And so I amended the complaint to conform to proof to add those two more theories. Uh, the jury came back unanimous and they gave me uh, 2.1 million for breach of contract, uh, 300,000 for fraud and about a million and a quarter for punitives on that. Now the last two theories, I don't remember what the compensatory damages were, but the jury gave me $180 million in punitive damages on that third cause. And on the fourth cause, they gave me $750 million in punitive damages. Wow. And right about then, opposing counsel snaps his pencil. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he did. Um, yeah. And then besides that one, you have the highest personal injury set settlement in the United States. And that was at 50 million? Yes. And uh, I can't tell you really if it still remains the highest. I just know back when I got it in 2007, it was the highest. Because I got a call. I wish I could remember who it was from. But they track all the settlements and trials, right? right? And they called me and they said, by the way, you have the highest personal injury settlement in the history of the United States. Oh, my God. It's also, you have the third highest. What? I had one where I settled for $28 million. So it turns out at that point in time, 50 million was the highest. Then there was a 29 million, then my 28 million. So at one point I had the first and third highest. <laughs> you, you gotta understand also I have, I did business litigation, banking, construction, real estate for my first 20 years. And I only did a PI case when one of my 
uh, now partners, had a relative who is injured. And I said, well, I don't really do PI. But he insisted, you know, really, come on, Dad, come on. So I took the case. We settled for $3 million. And I kind of felt like I was wearing the white hat, you know, helping people out. So then we started bringing in more personal injury cases. And now my practice is a combination of business litigation and personal injury. Right. You have a lot of more accomplishments that I can take a time about and, and, and talk about, but I'm going to include those in the description of the podcast for uh, the listeners that can read it in the description for the viewers. I'll put it in the comment section. And, and then you stated your current practice. So let's shift gears and talk about your current practice. Um, are you still trying cases? What kind of cases are you taking cases? Tell us a little about, about what you're doing now. Well, what I've done now is I've formed Callahan Consulting, and it's a Puerto Rican LLC. I've moved to Puerto Rico uh, because the just everybody probably knows there's a certain tax benefits living in Puerto Wait, Rico. Are you in Puerto Rico right now? No, I'm in California right now. Oh, okay, I was going to say that with the with the hurricane and everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fortunately I missed that. Uh, but what Callahan Consulting does, uh, I mentor lawyers both in my old firm, Callahan and Blaine, and any other lawyer that wants to reach out to me for advice. I give advice on trial strategy, uh, tactics, proper causes of action to bring, how to look out, outside the box. One of the things I'm really known for is being exceptionally creative. Um, so by example, I can give you an example of that. There's a, I had a client from Arizona who supplied materials uh, urethane foam, 55-gallon drums, uh, to Midstate, a subcontractor who brought those to Diamond Walnut and stopped it. And they were not paying my client Radco. So I said, well, he wants to get a mechanical lead. I said, well, have you served your 20-day notice? Being from Arizona, he didn't know what a 20-day notice was. And I explained to him, as a precursor to getting a mechanical lead, you have to let the owner know that you're out there expecting payment. So you have to serve a 20-day notice, either 20 days before or certainly within 20 days after releasing the product to the contractor. Well, he hadn't done that. And I thought about this. I thought, you know, um, can you just go and drive there and pick up these 55-gallon drums, drive them around the block, and then drop them off again? And then once you release possession, you can do a 20-day notice. And so now they're all locked up in a warehouse. All right. So... I do know that he said he sold this product to Midstate on credit and he was not paying his debts as due, which is a definition of insolvency. So under the UCC, if you sell goods uh, to someone on credit uh, and they don't pay you, well, and they happen to be insolvent at the time, that you can reclaim those goods and get what's called constructive possession. So I sent a notice out, I reclaimed the goods, I got constructive possession. I then uh, wrote a letter, I released possession, and I served each one notice. And the, uh, the lawyer at Diamond Walnut thought, you're crazy, that's just ridiculous. They, they haven't even moved. So he paid Midstate anyway, I sued, and then he wound up paying us again. So he had to pay twice. You really should have listened. <laughs> Speaking of thinking outside the box, there's another story of your client at, and involved an SBA loan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This was back in the early 80s. And uh, so my client 
was a minority enterprise small business investment company and made loans to companies. And uh, they were not getting paid on these loans. And the owner of the company thought, the owner of the lender uh, thought, you know, if we tell him that we're going to come to repossess his collateral, he's going to take it and go to Mexico. So what I did, I thought, okay, well, we'll just, under the UCC, we can do what's called a self-help repossession. I think it was UCC 9-504, but don't quote me on that. It's been a while. <laughs> so I did a document, right, and made it put on a legal-sized paper, made it look like it was a form that I was filling in the blanks. And I even put the correct statute that I was following, going under. And then, so it looked real. I then had my signature notarized. Well, it means nothing, but it looks pretty official. It's got a stamp and everything. And then uh, I went to the Irvine Police Department and I said, I'd like to have one of your officers come with me. I'm about to do a self-help repossession. And I pointed out the statute, what I was going to do it, make sure there's no breach of peace. Uh, because you can't do that and cause a breach of the peace. He said, I'll go, but I'll make sure you don't breach the peace. I said, all right. So I then got hold of a, a videographer from Los Angeles. Now, again, this is the early 80s, so people didn't have a, a video on their cell phone. They didn't have a cell phone. But anyway, so we come to the back of the uh, property, big warehouse, doors are wide open. We pull up with a flatbed truck. And we had a forklift on that truck. And then the three of us, Officer Clark, uh, myself and the videographer, come like an arrow right up to the back. And I'm saying, tell the videographer, get that guy, get that guy. He's, he's you know, videoed him. Uh, so then I walked up to this guy and said, look, I'm going to take out the CEO of this company. He's going down. If you want to go down with him, that's fine. But if you want to help me, you point out the collateral that belongs to the SBA, and I won't go after you. He said, okay, well, this is collateral of the SBA, and this is collateral, this is collateral, that's collateral. So he named all the collateral. We start scooping it up, on the, putting it on the flatbed, and it's in my forklift ran out of gas. But they had identified a forklift that was collateral. So I used their forklift, picked up my forklift, and loaded everything up and left. Uh, that afternoon, I get a call from an attorney who represented the debtor. And after speaking with me, he says, is it true all they had to do is say no? Uh, yeah, pretty much. It was all, congratulations on your state. So that was thinking outside the box. And I tend to think outside the box in all the cases that I handle. And what allows me to do that is I'm prepared. And if I'm prepared, I have enough time to think about novel things and what I can do and how I can accomplish something. Um, so that's that's a, a good example also of thinking outside the box. That that's an awesome story. <laughs> and and, and uh, you said now you, you have a consulting services and you can help other attorneys that want to think outside the box. How do the right. attorneys how, how can they reach you? Where do we find you? Well, uh, the best way to find me would be to go to calhoneconsulting.com. And I also have the telephone number, uh, which is eight eight eight. Five seven zero 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 zero, and they can send me an email at dan at callahanconsulting.com. And I told you what I do for men mentoring attorneys, like I do for the attorneys in my office, but I also have another thing I do. Uh, I work with clients. If there's a client, let's say in Pittsburgh, 
who needs an IP lawyer. Uh, I can go ahead and research sources to find out who's the best IP lawyer in Pittsburgh. I will then call them and interview them to see if they have enough uh, support right now to be able to take the kind of case that I want to give them to see if uh, the right people will be working on the file or is it going to be the guy who really is a superstar is on vacation or he's, he doesn't work anymore. So once I figure out who's best, I then have a call with my client. I tell them about the two or three, usually two, lawyers I've narrowed it down to. And then we have a, a call, a conference call with uh, those lawyers. And then the client makes up his mind. And the way I get paid is I get a referral fee from the law firm. And if I'm doing work for attorneys, um, the mentoring and whatnot, uh, I charge $1,000 an hour up for the first up to five hours. And if it's longer than that, it goes to $750 an hour. And uh, so that's basically how I get paid through Callahan Consulting. Uh, and I, it's really a very fun, I love it. All kinds of great situations come to me. That's pretty cool. You you get to be involved in a case without getting deep down into the muck of the case. But uh, it's very interesting. Um, now, I, I want to talk about some of the other stuff you did. Um, we know about your, 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 your big settlements and your big verdicts, but tell me your, your favorite story, your own personal favorite story uh, of when you practice law. Uh, I, you told us a couple of great stories, but I'm sure there's one out there that you didn't tell us that oh, you yeah. personally are proud of. Well, I did settle a personal injury case for $50 million. And I was very proud of the fact that other attorneys had turned that case down. But I did not. There was a uninsured hit and run drunk driver who was following a truck and then thought he was moving over into the right-hand lane but it was really a bike lane. It was not properly marked. And he clipped two women and rendered them quadriplegic. The other attorneys who looked at it couldn't figure out who they could sue. But I looked at it and I went to the scene and I saw that the bike lane was double the size of a normal bike lane. Usually they're about five feet wide and or less. Uh, and they're also supposed to have signs saying bike lane, bike lane. Right, and didn't have any of that. What had happened, it was correct at one time. There had been a landslide. They redid the road and they did it wrong. And they didn't properly do the bike lane. So I saw that uh, this driver most likely was thought that the right lane was a driving lane. He was misled. And that is a theory that I went with and that resulted in the $50 million settlement. So you sued the municipality? I did. I sued Dana Point. That's where I live right now. Well, oh, okay. <laughs> not right. I live in Puerto Rico, but uh, <laughs> that's where you are. I, yeah, that's where I am right now. There is one funny thing. I represented a large publicly traded company that is being sued uh, for uh, discrimination based on national origin. It was a Japanese company, and I got the award for Business Trialer of the Year. And that very day, I got hired to represent this company. So when I got my award, I said, oh, my God, thank you so much. This means the world to me, and also especially in light of the other recipients. And the individual who received the Employment Lawyer of the Year 
I pointed out, oh, guess what? I just got hired to be your opposition. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so we handled that case. We got a unanimous jury verdict uh, against both of the plaintiffs. And one of the things that we did this remarkable is that uh, he testified on a Friday the, about his emotional distress. And he said he felt like he was in a white room with no doors or windows. I thought, you know, I remember that from Twilight Zone. So I sent somebody out to get all the jackets to find that video. And I, he, we found that video. And right on the jacket, it says, felt like he was in a white room with no doors or windows. Uh, so I'm holding it you know, to my side. The jury can see I'm looking at it. He can't see what I'm looking at. And I said, no, on Friday, you said you suffered emotional distress. And if I'm correct, you said, you felt like you were in a white room with no doors or windows. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Are you a big fan of the Twilight Zone? Because that's what it says right here in the jacket. And the jury just broke up laughing. You know? <laughs> uh, so we had a good time. It was a tough fight, but we won a unanimous defense verdict. So I do, by the way, I hit from both sides of the plate. Uh, so I do plaintiff work. I also do defense work, which at first... Uh, there is a local bar association and all these plaintiff lawyers. And I was a superstar for some of the things I've done. But then when I turn up on the other side, you know, kicking somebody's butt in their group, you know, I was kind of looked at like, well, what is with this guy? You know, uh, because I do both. I represent defendants. I represent plaintiffs. You know, I do insurance bad faith. I had hit farmers for $58 million which is the highest insurance bad faith uh, judgment in Orange County. Uh, so there's a variety of things that, that I'm involved with. I have the highest employment uh, settlement in Orange County, 38 million. So I guess if it's litigation, I'm involved. And I am involved from either side, right? I even did patent work uh, only once. <laughs> I realized, okay, yeah, enough of that. Uh, we did prevail and get a settlement. In fact, we sued Farmers Insurance for bad faith for not defending a patent case under a slip and fall policy. And I made the successful argument that patent infringement was in fact covered. And we hit farmers and they didn't believe it. We hit them for $58 million. Uh, they've subsequently changed the policy language, right? So uh, they used to have it, I don't want to go too deep in the weeds, but they had coverage for bodily injury, uh, property damage, personal injury, and advertising injury. And advertising injury had the covered offenses of piracy and unfair competition. And I argued that patent infringement is both piracy and unfair competition. Uh, they have subsequently amended their policies. That, that, that's very interesting. Uh, I know that farmers or State Farm, one of those, has uh, business insurance. They they will help you if you are sued for copyright infringement, unless, yes. you're, unless you're a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in my mind, I would like to think you had something to do with that. <laughs> well, there is that possibility. Yeah. Um, so would you say now you do more consulting or more trial work, or is it a combination? No, now it's more consulting. Uh, and... I like to, you say, I don't really get too deep in the weeds, and but still, remember we have the preparation guy? Uh, 
Right. So on a particular issue, I really have to know uh, what's going on in a case. I'm a pretty quick study, so it doesn't take a lot, a lot of time if they give me the right materials. Uh, and then I can give them some meaningful advice. So I do, but yeah, I'm not trying cases anymore um, because I'm not licensed to practice law in Puerto Rico. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, uh, well, I got a couple of cases in California. I don't want to uh, go to trial. You want to do them for me? <laughs> sure. Bring them over. I'm just kidding. I love trial actually, but one day okay. I want to be as good a trial lawyer as you are one day. I'm sure you are. I'm going to include all the links to all your websites, all your social media in, in the podcast uh, episode information so people can see it, including your YouTube, which huh? includes some um, funny uh, videos of you. Right. <laughs> I'm going to let you talk about them. Uh, it seems like you were having fun while you were doing this. You actually enjoyed doing them. Could you tell us right. a little story about them? Uh, well, if you go to CallahanConsulting.com, uh, uh, you'll see some videos. And there's one. One of them is about a one minute long of funny stuff at the beginning. And then after that, I talk about a subject of law for about five or six minutes. And so there's a variety of different subjects of law that I discuss. Uh, so, but some of them lead off that first one minute, and the other one is a two-minute starter. Like it's a mission impossible. Right, exactly. You know, there's a, a flame, a, a fuse that's lit, it goes along this way, and then next thing you know, I'm on top of a train, you know, or I'm jumping out of an airplane or doing whatever I'm doing. They're both hilarious and fun. And I think I'm gonna be doing another one uh, sometime around Thanksgiving or Christmas. It'll be a Rambo. No, no, I'm sorry, Rocky. A Rocky spin-off. Are you gonna be Rocky? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be Rocky. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna look forward to that one. Uh, all okay. the listeners and all the viewers, please check out his uh, YouTube channel, check out his website. Um, Mr. Callahan, I know you're a very busy man. Thank you for coming on. Uh, before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to say? Thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed our chat. And I think we've covered just about anything. If people want to get a hold of me, they have the telephone number. And dan at callahanconsulting.com is my email. Thank you for being on. And everybody, we will have those uh, links and the email and the phone number in the web, uh, I'm sorry, in the podcast description. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.